I, uh, let me ask you a question. If I was to tell you that you only had five years left of your life, how would you live it? I think we could start thinking of things that we'd start doing, you know, if we were able. We'd probably maybe plan a big vacation, you know. Uh, if you've never been someplace, maybe you've never been to a foreign country and you want to go to Australia or wherever, you know, Paris, any place. Maybe, uh, maybe you would spend more time with family. Maybe you would invest money and see how much money you could accumulate. Maybe you'd spend every dime you had. Maybe you'd sell your house, sell everything, and travel. We'd all start making plans, right? We'd want to live those next five years the absolute best that we could live those five years. Would we not? Would we, if we were physically able, and I said, you know that in five years, or let's even make it quicker. Let's say you had one year, and we know on, say, December 25th, you know, 2022, you were going to, you know, perish, and you're going to leave this life and go to another one. You would do everything that you possibly could this year, could, would you not? You'd probably sell everything that you had, and you'd live that life to the fullest. You'd make the best of it. You might try to win all of your relatives. You might try to go and witness to every one of them. Why? Because you have nothing else to live, right? I mean, you know that at the end of this year, it's over. And you would go and you would, you would try to find those that didn't know Jesus. You would try to find those that maybe weren't going to church. And you'd do everything in your power and in your will to get them to either come to church with you or to get them to give their life to Jesus. Every one of us knows that we only have one life to live, right? Matter of fact, they even made a soap opera about it. Anybody ever watched that soap opera years ago? One life to live, you know? And, uh, I mean, it was, it was like one of the first soap operas that came out. It's, it's, it ran for like 40-something years or whatever. And uh, so we all know that we have just one life to live. So how are we going to spend the time that we have here on earth? How are we going to invest our time? How are we going to invest our energy? You know, the first three weeks that I preached this series, the stories that Jesus told were told to the Pharisees and the other religious leaders. And we also know that there were tax collectors, there were sinners there as well. But in this week's chapter, Jesus switches his focus from the, the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, he switches them. Now he's speaking to the disciples and he's talking to his disciples there. And Jesus begins by telling them a story about a rich man who has to fire his manager. And I want us to look at that story. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Luke chapter 16. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. And now understand that the rest of this series, this week and next week, will be in Luke chapter 16. So let me encourage you today, tonight, this week, to go and finish up this chapter. Read this entire chapter. But we're going to look at the first 13 verses here. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. It's in the New Testament. It is the third uh, of, the, of the Gospels, of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And go to the 16th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? 
Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he's already making a plan. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do, what his next move is going to be. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, verse 9 is what I want you to look at. And I want you to, if you've got to memorize this, if you've got to put it into your mind, if you've got to put it into your heart, however you've got to do it, highlight it, mark it, make it known. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Number 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So you see, during the time of Jesus, a rich man would often employ what was called an oikononomos, and I probably just butchered that. It sounds kind of like the, like the word we use, economics, so you, you, you hear the oikononomos? Y'all hear that? Economics. So it's kind of there. It meant manager or administrator. And this person would handle all the business affairs of his estate. The charge that this manager had squandered uh, the rich man's goods is an indication of either neglectful management or criminal misconduct. You know, think about it. In, In this story, The manager offers no defense when he is questioned. The landowner wanted him to show him how he was handling everything. And this manager knows that he is going to get fired. And and so he tries to find a way that he can support himself. He knows he's not physically able to do manual labor. He says, I'm ashamed, uh, I'm ashamed to be. In other words, I'm, I'm a too proud to beg. Okay, I'm ashamed to beg. I'm too proud to beg. So he uh, comes up with an idea. He calls in each of the people that, that owed his boss money, and he lowers their debts. Now, these debts were very significant. They weren't, you know, just little, you know, you think of olive oil. <laughs> no big deal, right? I mean, it's olive oil. We go buy olive oil in the store all the time. Understand this. When, when you hear him paying products, that's how they would do it back then. They would, they would rent out the land, but they would pay back. They would pay the uh, landowner with products. 
and then they would use those products to for throughout their their life and other ways um but think about this a hundred liquid measures of olive oil or 900 gallons it's equivalent to three years of a worker's wages today would you say that's a significant amount of money that's a significant amount of money right three years worth of wages so think about it if I don't know what the average person makes. You know, they're probably around the 30,000. Uh, I don't even know what poverty is. Poverty is like 20,000, I think. So we'll even go with that. So if you take a person that's living in poverty, that's, that's $60,000. That's pretty significant, right? And, and, and this was a rich man. So you can only imagine uh, for him, it was, you know, that was still quite a bit of money because he used that to invest, maybe bought more land or, or did some other things. A hundred measures of wheat has an even higher value. It's equivalent to over a thousand bushels or seven and a half years of wages. Uh, so you can see these debts are, are very significant. Uh, these debtors, they're not poor peasants, but they're business associates or they're tenant farmers. And to any debtor, the reduction of a loan by 50 or even 20% is very substantial. And these debtors, they have no reason at this point to doubt the authority of the manager, so they are eager to do as told. Just rewrite the loan voucher and sign it. It's a win-win situation for both manager and debtor. No one raises the uncomfortable question as to why the paperwork is being doctored. And the rich man will be none the wiser when the manager hands over the books. Look at verse 8 again. He says this. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Now, please understand this. I want you to understand. Jesus does not give approval of the manager's dishonesty. You see, this is one of the most uh, difficult uh, uh, parables that Jesus teaches. This is one of the most things that it's hard for people to understand because people are thinking, why would Jesus commend this man for being so dishonest. But Jesus is not commending them. He's going to make a point here, and he's going to make his point. So I want you to understand this. Jesus says the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. Think about it. If we pursue the kingdom of God with the same vigor and the same zeal that the children of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. Amen? I want to say that again. If we, the people of God, the kingdom of God, with the same vigor and the same zeal that the children of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. You know, it can be said that it is to the shame of the church that Coca-Cola is more widely distributed than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? I think something's wrong when people care more about a nice cold Coke than they do about Jesus. Think about it. I love Coke. I, I drink Coke Zero. I drink it all the time. Matter of fact, that's my preferred drink. There's no, sh there's, no, uh, there's no sugar in it, and it tastes 
pretty much like Coke. I can drink, I drink way too many. (laughs) My wife just looks at me, she goes, too many. (laughs) You know, when I want want something to drink, I go to the store and I say, hey, I need Coke Zero. When I go to a restaurant and I say, hey, do you have Coke Zero? And they say no, guess what I don't do next time? I don't go there usually. I know about three or four restaurants in town, and those are usually the ones I go to. Every once in a while, I'll get a Diet Dr. Pepper, but for the most part, Coke Zero is my drink, and so I like the flavor of Coke. However, I love Jesus more, amen? And it's time that we as believers and we as Christians promote Jesus more than we promote our favorite beverage, amen? The world... It never stops pushing its agenda, and the harder people push back, the harder uh, they try to push their agenda on you. We as believers, sometimes we don't even push. When was the last time you talked to somebody about your faith? When was the last time that you offered to pray for somebody that was hurting When was the last time that you offered to buy someone's meal? When was the last time you offered to help somebody in need? That's what Jesus is saying here. The world is more shrewd in their business dealings than Christians are in spreading their message of hope and forgiveness. That's what Jesus was trying to show the disciples He's saying, we as believers should be as shrewd as the business people. We should be out there trying to figure out ways to push. Jesus isn't telling you to lie. He's not telling you to be just not honest. He's not telling you to not speak the truth. He's just saying that we should be as as shrewd as this manager. And then if you want to go a step further... And you really want to make a difference. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 needs to be put into play. This is the one I told you to highlight. The one I told you to underline it. Write it down. Memorize it. Figure out what you, whatever you can do. It says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. You see, basically what Jesus is telling us here is put your money where your mouth is, Right? <laughs> You ever heard that saying? You know what that means? That means if you're going to tell somebody to, to do something or, or what have you, then you need to invest in that and put your money where your mouth is. Whatever you're talking about, whatever you're saying. So if you're talking about Jesus, if you're promoting Jesus, then you invest in things that you want to get the word out. If you're, if you're, if you're wanting to just live a life and just go about your daily routine and just do then invest in yourself. But can I tell you that when you invest in the things of God, that your treasures are far greater than if you invest in yourself? You see, we can talk about wanting to see God's message spread all over the kingdom, but until we take it out of the pocket and place it in the plate, we're helping to see, we're helping to see the kingdom fulfilled. God can do more with that 10% tithe than you can. Amen? Plus, he will bless that 90% when you tithe. And if we don't give the 10%, then 100% of the money that we have is under a curse. And I choose not to live under a curse. I want the blessings that God has for me, and I want to see what God will do. Amen? You know, if you look at the, the New King James, 
it translates verse 9 like this. And I want to read this. I want you to understand. It says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon. It uses the word mammon instead of wealth. That when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, I want to just take you on a moment and let you understand what mammon is, okay? The word mammon here, it's an Aramaic word and is translated as wealth or money. That's the reason why the NIV just went ahead and translated it for you and used the word wealth instead of mammon. Mammon was the name of a Syrian god of riches. Mammon tells you, you don't need God, you need money. Mammon, it's a spirit that rests on money. It wants you to think that money is more important than God. Mammon, think about this. It promises you everything and it gives you nothing. Mammon, it's going to promise you security. It will promise you status. It will promise you riches. It will promise you fame. It will promise you opportunity. But, if, but it will give you none of that. Only God can give you these things. Jesus closes this story in verse 13. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money or mammon. You know, many of us in the church, we've served mammon. And when it doesn't give us what we want, we despise God. Did you know that mammon has the spirit of Antichrist on it? Now listen to me. The spirit of Antichrist, it's not threatened by nuclear war. It's threatened by not being able to buy or sell. We read in Revelation that the Antichrist will force everyone to receive the mark of the beast. And if you don't have that mark, you will not be able to buy or sell. Mammon is always trying to get us to not serve God. You know, never once did Jesus tell someone that the solution to their problem was more money. Look in the Bible. Never once did Jesus say, if you want to fix your problem, if you want to fix your attitude, if you want to fix this, if you want to fix that, if you want to bring health to your life, if you want to do this, go out and get you some more money. You'll be all right. Never once did Jesus say that. He never told a prostitute, he never told a blind man, a lame man, or anyone else that if they had more money, then they would be fine. So we, you and I, all of us, believers, we need to avoid the spirit of mammon. And the only way that we do that, we do that by giving God our first 10%. And that way, God is blessing our finances. Can I tell you, there's a difference in just giving 10% and giving your first 10%. Do we all understand that? Now, I'm not, now let me say this. Don't make it a, a ritual. You understand what I'm saying? Don't, don't be ritualistic. I'm not saying that if you, oh, I forgot to write my tithes check. Oh, no, this is, I'm not saying do that. What I'm saying is make it a point that in your budgeting, in your tithing, Put your first 10% out there and say, okay, Lord, I'm giving you this and I'm believing you for the rest. I'm believing, I'm putting this out here and I'm believing that you're going to bless the rest of this. 
Because here's the thing. We are putting our trust and our faith in God when we lay that 10% down and we give it to him and we lay it at his feet and say, God, I thank you for all that you've given me. Now I want to return a portion back to you. And he only asks for 10. You see, he owns all of it. God owns all of it. It's all his. It's not ours anyway. Amen? Amen. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It, you know, uh, there was about 50, there was probably about 10 to 15, maybe 20 of us these last three days, different people coming different times, and we worked our tail ends off for this yard sale for kids to go. Y'all did awesome. I want y'all to know that. Give yourselves a hand. This, it was fantastic. You want to know how much we made? In the, in the two days sale, we brought in just, oh, it's by it's all time it's going to be said and done, it's going to be about $1,500. Amen? So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So we're going to be able to help our kids go to camp. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a blessing for these kids. And we worked our tails off. But guess what? None of it's ours, is it? None of it belongs to us. And we worked hard. I mean, we worked hard. We got in there. We sweated. We worked. We did all these things. But none of it's ours. It's God's, right? You see, that's the way it is in the world anyway. We go out on a daily basis. We work our tails off. We do everything that we're supposed to do. We do everything. We work, we work, we work, and we get, and guess what? We get a check, and guess what? It's not ours. None of that money's ours. Why? Because God owns everything. Everything is his. It all belongs to him. So when I bring my 10% tithe to him, and I bring it to him, and I lay it at his feet, and I say, Lord, This is the 10%. This is all that you have asked for me to return to you. And I'm bringing it to you and I lay it at your feet. Lord, I pray that you will help me to use this to live and to serve you and to do everything that I can to the best of my abilities that you have given me. That's what we're doing. We're just asking him that we're bringing this as a sacrifice so that he will bless the rest. But we, we avoid the spirit of mammon by giving God our first 10%. That way, God is blessing our finances. There's not a place on earth that the spirit of mammon is stronger than in America. Amen? What happens when the stock market drops? People freak out, do they not? Ah! <laughs> My life is gone. It's over. I don't know if I can make it, you know. Oh, no, the economy's crashing. Guess what? What happens whenever the stock market falls? I don't even know it. Number one, I ain't got a lot of money invested in the stock market anyway. Just what little bit of retirement I have. Number two, my trust is not in the American economy. Amen? My trust is in my father, and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's who my trust is. Why? Because I bring my tithe to the church, and I place it into his hand, and I say, I'm laying it at your feet, and so that you can bless me. And you know what? I know that God is going to bless me. I don't have to depend on the stock market. Is money evil? Is money evil, anybody? No, money is not evil. God uses money all the time. Amen? God uses money to keep these lights on. He uses money to, to put water in the, in the toilets, in the, in the, water, you know, in the 
sinks so that you can wash your hands. He, he uses money to uh, open these doors and keep these doors open. Thank God we don't have a mortgage anymore. <laughs> that helps. <laughs> but God uses money. God uses money for us to reach outside these walls. God uses money to bless missionaries so they can go over into the foreign fields and to see people changed and, and lives delivered and people touched. God uses money so money is not evil. When you give your tithe, God uses that to do some amazing things. Amen? Does God need our money? No. Why? Because he owns it all. And what you think is your, and what you think is your money is not your money anyway. God owns everything. Money is not evil, but listen to me. The love of money is, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, can I tell you what true riches are? And I want you to listen carefully. This is so important that you grasp what I'm about to tell you. If you don't hear anything else that I have said in this message, I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. True riches are people. Do you hear me? True riches are people. The only thing that will last forever in this world is people. People last forever. God wants you to love people, amen? People matter to God, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us, amen? Do you hear what I'm saying? People matter to God, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us. We need to stamp that on our hearts, on our minds, on our brains, and understand that God loves people, and we should love people as well. People last forever. Money cannot make you happy. It can't keep you warm at night. It can't love you back. Money will not be there for you when you need someone to talk to. If you love money, then you will be miserable for the rest of your life. God loves you, and he wants you to love his people. You can use money to reach God's people. God is the only person that can take money and turn it into souls. Amen? Look at verse 9 again. Are you getting this? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Ask yourself this question. What should I do with what's been entrusted to me? What should I do with what's been entrusted to me? My answer is this. I, don't want, I want to invest it in making friends for eternity. Amen? I want to invest it into making friends for eternity. You know, I think it's in Matthew. I didn't look it up because it just came to me. The Bible says, What profiteth a man if he gains the whole world, yet loses his soul? And I believe it's the same thing for you and I. What profits a man if we gains the whole world and he loses the souls of his friends and loved ones? Think about it. I, you know, uh, I was watching a, there's a uh, documentary on the contemporary Christian music. It's on Hulu now. I re- highly recommend it for everybody. It's called Jesus Music. 
Go watch it. It's fantastic. You need to, it's great, okay? But they're talking about the different Christian artists. And one of my, uh, I, remember, I remember when DC Talk first came out. Yes, I'm that old. In 1989, I think it was, 88, somewhere around there, I went and saw them at a DeGarmo and Key concert. Yes, I'm old. If you know that name, you know I'm old. Uh, DeGarmo and Key concert. They fronted for DeGarmo and Key. It was in Little Rock. And I remember this was the first time I'd ever heard these guys. I had heard some of their stuff. But they had a song. And on that song, the lyrics said, if you, ha- if you had all the money, or, or oh, I just forgot it. Uh, never mind. <laughs> It just, I'm, I'm old, y'all. Please forgive me. I'm old. It just went, phew. You can, ha- you can have all the fun and money man can have, sport a Porsche, or carry Gucci bags. You can gear a gold from your chest to your chin, but if you don't know the Savior, you'll never get in. There you go. Uh, thank you. Uh, someday I'll bust a rhyme for you. Uh, but uh, anyway... There's, there was truth. I remember hearing that growing up, and, I, and that was one of my favorite you know, um, songs that I would listen to because there was a lot of truth to that, that we could have all the mon- fun and money that man could have. We could have all the nicest cars, we can, but if we lose our soul, then we've not gained anything, amen? All that stuff is going to pass away someday, Amen? It's all going to pass away. It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone forever. And it's not going to matter nothing in eternity. Now, am I telling you that you don't need to go out and live? And, and No, God wants to bless you. He wants to give you an abundance like you could never even imagine. But God just wants you to manage it the right way. Amen? Why do you think the manager got fired in the first place? Because he was doing everything wrong. He wasn't doing everything right. And so the, the landowner came in and he fired him. He said, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you're fired. And, and so he starts trying to think of a plan. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too old to work, to dig ditches. I, I'm, he said, I'm too proud to beg. I'm not going to go beg on the side of the street. You know, so what am I going to do? So he starts thinking of a plan. So he finds a way to get the people to go along with him, even though they're completely clueless. And he changes some things real quick, and they sign off on it. And so now here the landowner going, you're pretty smart. Because now I'm pretty much in a, in a pickle either way. If I go and tell you that you're wrong, and I make those people you know, change it back to the correct way, then they're going to be mad at me now. Or if I go and, and just let it go, well, I'm losing money. So he's like, you're a pretty shrewd dude. You're pretty smart. But the whole problem with why he got here in the first place was because he was doing it all wrong in the beginning. Do you see what I'm talking about? Jesus is not asking us to do anything wrong. You understand what I'm saying? He's just saying that we need to start thinking of how we can reach lives and how we can reach souls and how we can do the things that we need to do the way that God wants us to do them so that we can see people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and so that they can come in and they can find out how they can not rely on money. Amen? Not rely on the things of the world to give them the happiness that they need. The only happiness that we need is Jesus Christ. Amen? 
And he wants to change our soul. He wants to love us in such a way that if we just open up ourselves to receive from him, he's going to pour into our lives and give us all that we need. I can't invest my life in two places. So I, me, am going to invest my life, my wealth, my time, my energy with the one that loves me. And when, the, and when he went to the cross to die for me. I was created for something great. I was created for significance. You understand that? I want to invest my life in the kingdom and I want to do what God has called me to do no matter what it takes. Amen? Amen. That's what this is about. It's about serving Jesus. It's about saying, God, what is it you want me to do? Where is it you want me to go? How do you want me to get there? And then we walk through that path and we say, okay, God, I'm ready to receive whatever you want me to receive. I want what Jesus wants for me. That's what I want. I want nothing else. I don't want anything this world, this world wants to give me. Was it uh, the song, I have decided to follow Jesus? No, no, none go with me. Still I will follow. Uh, what's the one the world? Uh, the world go with me or something? I don't know. No, you know, I don't want the world, the cross before me. The world behind me. That's it. I got it. Hallelujah. I need to write this stuff down, but I don't think about it when I'm in my office, guys. You know, (laughs) the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Amen. No turning back. I'm not going back to where I was. What we, we sing a song. Was it last week? I think it was. I can't go back to the beginning. I can't control what tomorrow will bring but I know here in the middle is a place where you want me to something promised to be amen I want what God wants I want everything that God wants I'm not gonna look back I'm not going back I'm not gonna I don't even want to look back Amen? amen this church has done some amazing things in its past can we all agree Amazing things this past. I've heard stories when they moved into this building. Maybe not all y'all know this. When they moved into this building here, there was over 400 people here in that service. I don't know why, but it just started dwindling down. I can tell you probably some things that contributed to it, but I don't know all the history. Guess what? It don't matter. It's in the past. God has a mission, He has a future prepared for us, and we need to stop looking in the past of what we did and what happened and all the glorious and great things and start saying, okay, God, what is it you have for me today and tomorrow? And then when tomorrow comes, okay, God, what is it you have for me today and tomorrow? And we don't look back to where we are. You got a past, brother, don't you? You got a past, don't you? You got a past, don't you? You got a past, don't you? We all have a past. There's a reason why it's called the past, amen? You're not the same anymore, are you? Hey, David, you're not the same anymore, are you, brother? I could point out every one of you and say you're not the same anymore. Why? Because Jesus changed your life, amen? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if we put our stock in him then everything's going to be all right. Amen? Amen. I want to invest my life in him is who I want to invest my life in. That's what we're going to do. I have one life to live. I have one life to live. And I've got to make it the most that I can make it. And I've only got a short time to make it. Amen? 
I've only got a little bit of time. I've only got a little bit of time. Ever, I, you hear rumblings. You hear rumors. There's things that are happening. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming soon. He's closer today than he was yesterday, amen? He's coming soon, and we've got to be ready, but we also got to get other people ready and say, come along, hop on this train with us, get on board, because if you're not on board, you're going to get left behind, and we don't want you to get left behind. Join us, and let's move forward. Let's move forward to where God wants to take us, amen? Amen. Can we stand, please? Hallelujah, Lord. Kent, I know this was impromptu, but can we sing that song that we sang last week? Can't go back. Um, here again, I think it's called. Can we all lift our hands all over this place? I want to pray for you. Dear Jesus, Lord, you have a group of people that you've called. I believe you've called them here today for this time, for such a time as this. We don't know why everybody's not here this morning. We just know why we're here. And God, you've called us here today for such a time as this. You're telling us, you're speaking into our hearts, you're speaking into our life. I believe that this is a timely message that you have poured upon my heart, upon my life, for this day, for this time, that as I was preparing six, seven months ago for what I'd be preaching today, I believe that you had a plan and you had a purpose and an order for this sermon today, at this moment, at this time, for those people that were being here. Why? Because you are a mighty, magnificent God. You don't look at the past, you look at the future. And so, God, I'm praying over this congregation today that they receive your spirit, that they receive your word, they receive your calling, and that they go forward in you, that they listen to what you're speaking to their hearts and you're you're speaking into their lives, and they're going to go forward and they're going to walk in you, Lord God. Lord Jesus, I love you and I praise you. And I thank you. And I give you glory for who you are. Walk Walk with us each step that we take. Help us to listen to your words. Help us to listen to what you're speaking into our hearts. And that we go forward and be with you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can you worship as we sing this? Can you worship this morning as we sing this? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I can't go back to the beginning. Can't control what tomorrow will bring. But I know here in the middle Is a place where you promised to be I'm not enough Unless you come Will you meet me here again? All I want is all you are Will you meet me here again? Not for a minute was I forsaken The Lord is in this place The Lord is in this place Come Holy Spirit Dry bones awaken Lord is in this place. Lord is in this place. 
I'm not enough Unless you come Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want Is all you are Will you meet me here again? Not for a minute Was I forsaken? Lord is in this place. Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, drive on the waking. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? And every one of you right now where you're at, here's what I want you to do. Just right where you're at, I want you to ask, God, what is it you want from me? What is it you want from me? This is your time right there where you're at. You don't have to come forward. If you want to come forward, I'll come pray with you. But, if, but I just want you right where you're at. Is I want you in your mind right there. I want you just to speak to God. And I want you to say, God, what is it you want from me? What is it you want me to do? Let's make that our prayer right now. Hallelujah, Lord. God, what is it you want me to do? God, what is it you want from me? Who do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? How much do you want me to invest, God? What is it that I can do for you, Lord God? I pray that you would just pour into my life, pour into every individual that's here, God. Hallelujah. Lord, we praise you right now. We praise you right now, Lord God. We magnify your name, oh God. We give you praise and glory. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, Lord God. I praise you, Lord. Lord, meet us here, Lord God. Meet them here. Meet them where they're at, Lord God. I pray. Hallelujah, Lord. We praise you and give you glory and honor, God. We magnify your name, O oh God. We give you praise and glory and honor. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we praise you, we praise you, we praise you. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, Lord God. Lord, you're so good. Lord, you're so good, you're so good, you're so good. Hallelujah, Lord, we praise you. God is good, amen? Amen. amen. Hallelujah, you can be seated. Do you, yeah. Here in a minute, our little ones... Well, they're not little. 